It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. Regardless of where we believe things are going, let's move to the idea that the two leagues will merge, not arguing about whether or not they will. And I want a little bit of a thought experiment about how that would look if they actually do. First down. You are listening live to Third Down Gamble. And welcome everyone, Don Charbon along with Pat and Heath, my two usual cohorts, who are back. And back on the frozen tundra of the prairies. We had some winter weather here as March is going out like a lion. (laughs) Yeah, it came in like a lamb, but absolutely a lion. Not only uh, weather, but 100 kilometer an hour winds. (laughs) What a gift. We had the same here. They, They had called for quite a bit of snow. Luckily, we got about a third of what the anticipation was. However, I was still out shoveling this morning trying to get my front door dug out. Well, and I think this weather is a good starting point as we talk about the CFL-XFL alignment and a possible move up of the season. If training camps are going to be opening in March for an April season, this is the kind of weather that the Prairie teams are going to endure. How does that come into play when you're working on how to align two leagues and get games on the field? Well, here's a flyer, and this is something that I think I've been thinking about what if, and I know it's going to suck for a a few teams that export their training camps to local communities, but what if the CFL had their training camps in the States? It's a possibility or they, they could split the league and have cactus league in the, uh, in the grapefruit league with baseball. Same idea. Or you could even split and do some in, in BC in in the dome stadium there. Unmothball the big, the big O. You don't have to be in the dome to be in BC at that time of the year. (laughs) I don't, I don't think we're going to see this kind of weather every time. In fact, I can't remember the last time that we actually had. Probably it was 16 years ago, 15 years ago, where it was this bad at this time of the year. I think Heath is right. You're going to get snowy climbs. You're going to get colder climbs in March than you will in April. And if you started in April, it would be a little bit better. But I kind of think, given everything we've heard from down south, they have to start in April. And if the CFL and the XFL merge, partner, whatever you want to call it, down the road, I think we're moving to a to an April start to the season, which I'm content with. I think a lot of people are. It, uh, you know, it definitely gives you the, the weather you're going to need, and it moves potentially away from those November uh, dates if you're going to move the season up as well. And that's certainly been a topic of discussion throughout the CFL for a number of years. You can look back to CFL footage from the 1960s, the Western Playoffs. Saskatchewan was playing Calgary in 1968. They're playing them again in 1970. Bitterly cold November days. Why don't you move this season sooner? And they're talking about, well, we already start in the middle of July. And I'm thinking, my goodness. And there's a crowd in there that's just freezing to death. And I've never understood what rationale you have as an entity to ask people to get frostbite to watch your product. It just doesn't make sense to me. I know hockey plays all winter long, but you're not sitting outside to watch the game. I think the other variance here is with more television coverage and high definition, people are willing to sit at home and and have the comforts of home and watch the game as opposed to being in the stadium. And we know that that's the experience that that, uh, the CFL, and I assume any football league, wants that excitement of people in the stands. and, And yet... We haven't been selling out in the last few years, and I think it is due to the cold and the ability to watch on TV and see a a great product. Edmonton, I know, 
when they were hosting playoff dates a couple of years ago, were fuming that they were playing in such poor conditions and the crowds were abysmal because nobody could A, make it out, and B, wanted to sit out four hours in that type of weather. You're just crushing your gate all the time, every time this happens. And it to me, it's absolute nonsense. You risk a storm in April, yes, but what's the worst consequence? Maybe 10 or 15 centimeters of snow and minus five, not 10 or 15 centimeters of snow and minus 30. Again, though, I do think traditionalists will argue that, you know, in, in the CFL, when does when does it get exciting? And it's often after Labor Day when the games really count and we're pushing towards the playoffs. Moving forward to April, that's going to happen in midsummer. And the argument has always been that the Canadians do like their outdoors in summer. They like to get to the lake. They like to go on vacation, camping, all those different things. So, you know, the, the April start could certainly have some impact on those meaningful games starting in August as, as opposed to into September, October. Don't tell me that you can't go to a CFL game in June, July, and August. And people do. Like the numbers for attendance are very good in those summer months. It may be harder for some of the lake traffic to go to a game if you had to pick and choose, but then maybe move the schedule off the weekend a little bit in the larger centers to give people time to do what they want to do on the weekend if they don't have to make that choice between the game or going. I know that's why Winnipeg has a lot of Thursday and Friday night games in the summer because it's a huge cottage industry in Lake Winnipeg and the Inner Lake and the White Shell that draw people out of the city on those weekends. And, and weekends in the summer in Canada are precious. You have to take advantage of the good weather while you can. One question I have about if we were to start training camps in March is does that affect player recruitment? You're more likely to get players from the south coming up and playing in the beautiful weather and then into the playoffs in the cold. But are they going to think twice about maybe coming to these prairie cities in March for an outdoor training camp and then moving into the, the warm weather for the rest of the season? Well, how does a player from California sign with Green Bay? Well, it's the same thing, though. They start their season in warm weather. And then when it's cold, you're playing in the meaningful playoff games. This is going to be the other way around where you're coming to freeze your butt off in, in, in a potentially cold weather situation in the prairies. Um, hoping to make a team, you might not even make it. So I, I, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue, but I think it, it may weigh on the minds of some of the players. Again, you don't have to be outdoors to practice. You can practice indoors if you want to. So that I, that to me is not an issue. The bigger issue is getting away from minus 30. We don't see that in April at a game, but you do see it in November. Coming at it from a prairie perspective as well, though, um, when, when we move into April and, and, and May, we often see gale force winds as, as things change. And, and I mean, that will certainly impact some games that are played in open air. Maybe that's just here on the prairies. I'm not sure if it has the same impact throughout the rest of Canada. I think that for the eastern part of Canada, it's snow squalls and things like that coming off the lakes. I think that's their bigger concern. They could have a huge dump of snow in a very short period. But again... You're going to get something. You're either going to have thunderstorms in the middle of June or July. You're going to have bitterly cold weather or you're going to have snow dumps in April. Take your pill. Like which one do you which one do you think is going to be least offensive? Give me the snow and give me the thunderstorms. Skip the minus 30. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. 
Do your part. Be a team player. Second down. Try to wade our way through this XFL discussion. Love to refer this as the circular reference topic because it's talking about talking. And we've already commended the CFL and XFL for being very tight-lipped about what's been going on in these discussions. I've heard stories now that they've been talking since October of 2020. There's been a lot of question about the XFL and what it's going to do in the next 12 months. And now there's more and more conjecture. They're not going to play in 2022, which puts them another year away from even starting their season. Is this a harbinger that the two leagues are getting closer and closer to a a joint operating agreement or something where they realign themselves to play their schedules together in 2023? And what does that say about 2021 in the CFL as we move forward, just having heard that the CFL uh, entry draft has been scheduled? By all accounts, it does look like the CFL is intending to play in 2021 with the Discussion with players about reducing salaries by 20%, whether people are in the stands or not. I I mean, you've got that. You've got the draft, as you mentioned, Don, and a number of teams continuing to sign people. And and certainly we see some retirements maybe based on some of the questions that are being asked as well. But, But at this point, it does look like the CFL will continue to move forward with a target of playing in 2021 in some form or shape. And I think that bodes well for the CFL if they can get that going because I think they'll, they'll come from more of a position of strength as opposed to a league that lost a great deal of money. For the CFL to continue to exist, they need to get a season going in 2021. Um, unfortunately, as, as Pat mentioned, we've seen a couple of retirements. Uh, Bryant Mitchell, that was an exciting signing for the Blue Bombers, was really the first one to react on Twitter when it was announced that the league was asking for 20% pay cuts. He simply tweeted, no. And we've seen this week that he's announced his retirement from the game. So I think a downside to this is you are going to see some of these players maybe have played their final CFL games without the fanfare. Um, Nobody knew what it was going to look like and they're choosing to walk away. The average CFL player isn't making huge money. So on top of not playing in 2020 at all, you're now asking them to take a 20% pay cut. And that's a huge hit for a lot of these guys. Now, we know that CFL operations have taken a huge hit, not only with pay cuts, but also with layoffs. It's not like it's just one side of the equation that's taking all the pain and the other side is walking away free. Everybody has felt it. The coaching uh, staffs of all these teams took pay cuts and are still under those same pay cuts for this year. Everybody is having to tighten their belt. To go back to what you said, Don, about the CFL operations taking that cut, we, we saw that last year. They did take a cut with the coaches and the operations staff, but at the same point, they did get paid, whereas the players last year did not get paid. Uh, many of them renegotiated contracts already this year with the understanding that we're going to have to reduce to hit the, the, the minimum salary cap, and now on top of it, some of the players are being asked to take an additional 20% cut, and, and uh, you know, I've, I feel sorry for the players because they are the league, and that's why we go to watch them. Um, but at the same point, which comes first? Uh, you know, <laughs> you've got you've to have a league to be able to play the games and make money. So I think we will see, as you alluded to, Heath, some people uh, will continue to say this, you know, I've been out of football for a while. I'm maybe not willing to go on or, or I've got other options that will provide me with a different income. So I'm going to take that option. But at the same point, we'll have 
young players like in the national draft coming forward that are going to be saying, I want an opportunity and I'm willing to play for that money too. Well, isn't part of the equation though that if fans get back into the stadium and the revenues become better, that some of that 20% will be recouped? And the other thing too that we don't know for certain is is 20% the first announcement in a negotiation? And maybe they're not going to stop there anyway. It might be at 15, 12, some other number that they, they have to come to terms with if you're the CFLPA and Ramsey and Elamimian. There is still room to negotiate this all through. No one's playing for free. Owners can't just lose money incessantly and say, well, this is a wonderful thing. They've got to watch their bottom line. I mean, nobody wins in this situation. No, you're right. Nobody wins. And it. I think it is a big point that we are going to see an influx of younger players into the league. Um, one well-known CFL star that I'm certainly keeping an eye on actually is Brandon Banks. With the uh, with the two retirements that we've seen earlier this week, he's been very vocal in his displeasure with kind of the way th- the whole thing has been handled. Is this the end of, of Speedy B in Hamilton and in the CFL? Well, if Delvin Bro can leave, Adrian Tracy's another one who's retired. They can go... It's possible that Brandon Banks could go as well, and and we may see a few more and a, a changing of the guard, as it were. The the high end veteran players starting to say thanks, but no thanks. We're going to move on and make the decisions for the teams. The silver lining in this might be a real resurgence of Canadian talent in the CFL. I think if we we're losing a lot of these stars and the money issue and the exchange rate and all those things come into play regardless of what the ratio is, we might just generally see more Canadian talent on these teams. Well, and one thing that Jim Hobson of the, uh, formerly the president of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders had indicated that when the riders were in their halcyon years back 10 years ago, they had eight, nine, 10 Canadian starters on the field at any one time. That's more than was required as a minimum. And he feels, and I think quite rightly, that there's room to grow that side of the game, that the Canadian or the national could take up a bigger part of the team. The bigger question then in my mind is, if you're going to do all of that, if you're playing 2021 and you think about expanding the Canadian side of the roster, do you really want to work out a deal with the XFL? Or do you just want to say, thanks, but let's figure out our marketing, let's do something that we could look at to help each other in terms of getting eyeballs watching us, but we're just going to be the CFL, you'll be the XFL, and and we'll just be friendly to each other. In my opinion, I think that comes down to the success of the 2021 season. Teams cannot afford to lose a great deal of money, and, and we've spoken before of how the XFL and the partnerships have uh, a strong financial backing that they may be able to weather the storm of a, a year or two that are bad. If the CFL gets to uh, play this year and and because of playing is able to recuperate some of the money and, and, and build the league and, and continue into 2022 before the XFL comes on in 2023. I think that definitely gives them a stronger standpoint to take a look at, okay, let's make this Canadian Football League, which we all see it potentially more Canadian as an option. And I do like what, what Hobson said. And, and if you read Rob Vanstone's column in, in the Leader Post, he also argues that you know, there was a time when we had more nationals, Canadians in the league. And, and uh, at that point, it, was, it also seemed to be a more wide open league. And I know that's 
um, you know, with coaching and the style of play that was very different at that point in time, but it seemed to uh, be a much more uh, offensive game at that point in time. Well, for the longest time, CFL clubs or CRU clubs back then could only carry three, five, maybe seven imports. Now we've seen that completely flipped the other way, and mostly because of the pool size south of the 49th. That's the reason why. There's just that many more players to, to recruit. No way I, does the CFL make money this year unless game day betting really becomes a boon and just untaps a resource that, wow, we never thought possible could make that kind of money. Because the revenue from television maybe covers salaries for each team, for the players. After that, you've got to get into merchandising or betting or something else that's going to generate more revenue and sponsorships that's going to generate the rest of the revenue to make a team viable. I don't know in 2021 where or how that money is going to be generated quickly enough to cover all the expenses. I don't know that gambling is going to be the panacea that's going to allow the CFL to come through this financially solvent. Uh, I do believe that the NBA is taking a look at, at identifying with the, with the new gambling that 1% of revenues off gambling would go to the NBA. Well, in the NBA, with an organization that size and the amount of interest in people who do watch it, I think that 1% would be significant. I'm not sure if that were the CFL aligning for 1% if we'd have that same type of upkick. It definitely would impact, but I don't think it's one that's going to carry the league across. So you're right, Don. The CFL does have to continue to explore revenue streams, and I think that's part of the idea in terms of talking about the XFL because they're going to be in the same boat. When they start their play, they need to generate fan base, they need to generate excitement, but they also have to start to make money within a period of time. And, and so I think both both leagues are in a situation where that's certainly an area that they both need to explore. If the XFL isn't going to get off the ground until 2023, a lot needs to go right for the CFL over these next two years if they're to continue to operate independently. We've seen a lot of articles, a lot of talk about the CFL having an aging fan base and a very small fan base. And there's there seems to be this contingent of people in Canada that want to see the CFL fail for whatever reason. I'm, I'm certainly not one of them, but my concern is how do how does the league hit the ground running after all of the trouble that they've had and how do they successfully build over the next two years to, to really build back the brand and get the strength of the league? Um, you know, do they look at aligning more with, with CIS and some of the developmental football from a grassroots level and, and build the excitement that way? They need to get a lot more, a lot stronger partnerships in place to do that, but it's one possibility of a way to get a younger fan on board. Well, I think most major sports in North America are struggling with this whole idea that the fan base is getting older and older. The PAGA Tour, they estimate, is probably 64 is the average age of a person who's really the big fan of it. But even the NFL is 50. But the one thing that I've always heard is that, that every year more 50-year-olds are made. So it's not like you're running out of them. And I also think of, too, is that people at that stage of life in their 40s and 50s have had their kids are now moving into a different income strata where they may have more free time and more free capital to do other things. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing this uptick of age in attendees or fans or television viewers 
of these major sports because they're the ones that have more wherewithal. When you're younger, 18, 20, 24, you're out getting a job, trying to get your life sorted out. There's a lot of other things that are going on and it's a while before you get to settle down. I, I think that's a very good point, Don, but on the on the flip side of that, like you said, there there's more 50 year olds every year, but are the people that are now 35, 40 and are not big fans of the CFL going to pick it up when they get to be that age with a more disposable income? I grew up, remember I remember the the excitement of like the 84 Grey Cup when I was a little kid, and that made me the bomber fan that I am today. It's been a, a 30 plus year love affair with the CFL and with the league. But if people that are in that little bit younger generation aren't already caught up in the excitement of it, will they pick it up? And I, I think, unfortunately, the answer right now is no. I think the NFL has become such a major brand in North America that it's drawing some of those younger football fans that should be CFL fans. And for whatever reason, they're not getting that that nurturing and, and growing with the CFL as fans, they're just going to the bright lights of the NFL and we're losing that segment of the population. I agree with you. I think if you don't have exposure as a kid to a CFL game or to the excitement you mentioned of a Grey Cup or a playoff run or something like that, it's going to be harder for you to go out and support the local team later in life if you just haven't developed any affinity. You have to, you have, to have something there tangible and I really do agree with you that, yes, if you miss a generation with that, and this is where blackouts were brutal for the CFL forever, especially in Southern Ontario where you have three teams, it just it cut off a generation. And then you've got all of these NFL games and college games from the States flooding across the, the border. I do think there's something to be said for 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds as well. I mean, you have, the, as you mentioned before, the disposable income at that age. So you know what? I think back to watching football with my grandpa. And uh, they were, he, he was part of the reason that I got into football as well. My dad stayed in football as well due to grandpa enjoying that. So, I mean, it's generational. If you can capture that person at 24 years old and they stay in the league all the way through to the end, great. You're going to get their kids when they first are born and move them in, to become lifelong CFL fans like in my family. That's what, what has happened. But I think you will still get some that are going to say, okay, even though the generation maybe uh, in between has skipped the CFL, Grandpa does watch it and has the ability to maybe take the grandchildren to a game. That's what's going to capture them. I know myself, I've taken my my nephews when they were young to see the game and, and the excitement in the stadium was enough to say, hey, every year they wanted to come back and we, you know, come and paint your garage door so I can get tickets to the game, <laughs> you know, and the, and that was, that was an, an exciting event for them. And I think that that, you know, we have to say, Yes, it's important to get a younger niche. It is important to capture those 24-year-olds. They also have some disposable income. If they haven't bought their house yet, they're going to be out with friends and connecting in. So it has to be an event for them as well. And I think, you know, the CFL overall does a good job of that in, in most stadiums. I think, again, it's in individual organizations that need to work on that marketing as opposed to the CFL as a whole. Well, I think attendance over the last 50 years, although it's had some spikes definitely in the late 70s and early 80s, has more or less settled into about a 20,000 per game average across the league. If the CFL could get to a model where 20 to 25,000 makes you break even, then I think you're good to go. You don't need the XFL 
necessarily under that circumstance. It's an excellent point. You know, if the CFL business model can be adjusted so that they find those alternate sources of revenue, maybe working with the XFL and some of the marketing genius that they bring to the table to find some alternate revenue sources, as well as, as you say, a model where only 20 to 25,000 are going to be in the stands. And that's pretty indicative of, of the long-term trend right now. The other people are watching on TV, so it's got to be exciting for them. But how do we engage them or get some income off them other than just the fact that they're watching TSN? I think betting is the way to go. I think if you have game day betting, my question is with the Canadian bill that's past second reading and how does that impact United States betting? If you bet on a CFL game and you're in Vegas, does the CFL get a cut of that? That's a good question. And I guess one, we have to wait and see how this goes through because I don't think we have the answer on that right now. Um, and it's not just the CFL, all leagues. Do they have that ability? Other, the American teams certainly have that ability. In Canada? No, well, not necessarily in Canada, but but a reciprocity, fine. Mm-hmm. DraftKings mentioned that on Friday nights when there was nothing else happening but the CFL, they always saw the uptick. And in an organization like that, yes, they're going to bet on a game that's there, but but your question, Don, remains is, is how does a league capture that or get some kind of revenue off of that as opposed to, you know, that happens in the United States and, and really the only one getting revenue is the, the company of DraftKings or the betting company. If the Canadian law doesn't impact what goes on in the States, then you have to go down and negotiate with whatever American law applies. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Third down. I want to propose another item to talk about that's somewhat hypothetical. So we discussed in our last podcast, let's take a look at can the XFL and the CFL align schedules with some interaction, maybe some sort of league playoff and make it work. Let's throw that out there, guys. Any thoughts on that? Well, as we mentioned on first down, I'm totally in favor of moving the CFL schedule to April. So I kind of think they could align schedules. That would mean what? And this is the big question. How would you work it out so that the CFL and the XFL could live across from each other and then wind up, I would guess, as we discussed in the previous episode, maybe playing a championship game to decide who gets the Grey Cup. There's been one proposal out there. They call it, what, a smart season or something? Jim Mullins kind of posted it on 3Down Nation. And by the way, big shout out to 3Down. Wow, they have been doing wonderful work trying to cover all of this, and I'm really impressed with all the effort they put into it. The thing that we were getting to was the Jim Mullins idea about the smart season. And this sort of goes to what they do in soccer. So the proposal was is that the XFL and the CFL play a 10-game sked until from April till the end of June and then go to a playoff format where the two cross paths and then the XFL shuts down and the CFL continues on to finish its 18-game schedule by playing the last eight games and then its own playoffs. I find this borderline absurd. Why? Because you have a group of teams that prime themselves up for a playoff run 
and then some of them get eliminated, and then one of them makes it to the final. It doesn't really matter, but let's say they, they lose it. Two weeks later or a week later, they've got to go back and finish their own season. What kind of mental state are they going to be in? And what are you finishing that season for? What's the purpose? Is this serious? So to go back to your soccer analogy then, Don, you're, you're not in favor of doing that in those two different tiers in soccer. Is that not the same type of... In soccer, it's fine because they have a different championship. They've got the Champions League where teams, like the top teams from the previous year, have a home-and-home home series until the championship final. That's, that's something separate from their own league championship. And that goes on throughout. Yes, they wind up playing more games. I, I just don't get what's the point. Play for the the the, North, the Grey Cup in July, and then what do you do for the last eight? I think the point is you're not playing the Grey Cup in July. You're playing an interlocking playoff system schedule where teams are playing within their own a, a league, which, I mean, we can say conference, if you will. And, and so at the 10-game schedule where the XFL would stop, that's as far as they want to play, then they would interlock against the CFL. I guess my question would be, how can you make that work logistically? So what are you taking? The best two CFL teams and you're going to play the two best XFL teams and they have to play two extra games in the middle of July? I, I, I don't see that being feasible. But It adds a lot of football for those teams, right? It's You're, you're already, if the CFL is committed to playing 18 CFL season games and you throw some sort of interleague interlocking playoff in the middle of it teams are now going to be playing 18 plus potentially three playoff gets you to 21 plus whatever the interleague playoff is 22 23 24 games that's too much football it's one thing for a for a soccer club to pick up a couple extra games here and there yes it's a physically demanding sport but not to the same degree that that tackle football is so I think from a player safety perspective, it can't possibly work. Um, The only solution I see is that you shorten the actual CFL season uh, by a few games if you're really committed to doing this interleague uh, in between here. So I don't know what that looks like. I think maybe even going to a 15-game schedule and you're going to have a a mid-season playoff and an end-of-season playoff. If you really wanted to, to pursue this in some sort of context that makes sense. But why can't the XFL play into August? I don't get it because the NFL hasn't started then. I don't know how far their college season has started about started into. So there has to be room somewhere for that audience to follow a playoff game or two. The other thing that I think that is missing the boat on this, how many people in the United States are going to come watch the Rough Riders play the St. Louis, what are they, the Battlehawks? for a championship game. And I don't think interlocking is ever going to work because how many times do the Blue Jays make it on Fox National uh, primetime for Saturday games or ESPN Sunday nights? How many times do the Raptors ever make it TV anywhere other than on Canadian television? It just doesn't happen. The Americans don't get tel- uh, ratings numbers from Canada. They, don't, they can't count them. They're not going to bother. And I don't see how this is going to work except you play one time at the end when everybody's done. The only other way, and I'll, I'll, I'll agree with what Heath was saying about the physicality of football. I'm not sure you could make this work, but the only other way would be to stop the two leagues at wherever the XFL ends and play an all-star type of game where you're taking your season all-stars to that midpoint. You're giving teams their buys at that point. So you're not, you know, having multiple bye weeks and extending the season quite as long. And, and you, you let's say everyone gets 
three weeks off and the All-Stars play a game. The physicality of the game is the risk because you're putting your some of your best players on the field with the potential for injury in, in that situation. I think All-Star games are a dying entity as it is. And the worst one of the of all of them of the major sports would be the Pro Bowl. In, in an NBA All-Star game, at least you get to see some thunderous dunks and some big plays like that. The NHL All-Star game, you get to see players like Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby do some amazing things. The best one of them is a baseball All-Star game because it's still a baseball. In a All-Star, Pro Bowl, whatever you call it, football game, you're right, the risk of injury is very high. So because of that, it's not a true exhibition of the game. You're going to see some amazing throws and some great catches, but you're not going to see the tackles. You're not going to see the tight coverage. The running game is completely different because nobody wants to fill that gap and run over that running back. I don't see it being a, a way to really promote the leagues. Play this out in a different way. The Hamilton Tiger Cats are the best team after the end of June. So they're the top t- seed in the in the XFL-CFL playoffs. And they make it to the championship final, but by some freak of nature, Evans and Mazzoli are knocked out at quarterback. They're both gone, and they're gone for six to eight weeks. They come back in August, and they're supposed to pick up where they left off, or a 9-1 and one record in the first 10, but now their two starting quarterbacks are gone because they played in an XFL game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't see it's viable, to be honest, but I'm just saying, is there any way it could align? And, and I'm not sure there is, based on two separate leagues, and, and thus we... Had the thought experiment last week of what would occur in a merger. I guess the one thing that I could possibly see in in that interleague system would be if all teams get a chance to play. But that would mean the XFL expanding. I mean, they only went with eight teams in their last iteration. The CFL still has nine. So you're, you're an odd team out. If the numbers balance and Winnipeg plays in Tampa and Saskatchewan plays in St. Louis, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to get that crossover interest a little bit if everybody's involved. But to start to eliminate teams and to seed teams and and have only four out of the 17 teams in the league playing just doesn't make sense. If the XFL could add a ninth team and you could have an interlocking game or two that would count towards standings as well for the CFL and, and, and the XFL prior to moving into their own playoffs. That might be a way you could align it. You're talking about in the first 10 games. Yes. So if, if after 10 games, we don't interlock at all, but then you say in the month of July, we're going to play three games. All teams will play three games over the month of July. If you could balance the league where there's nine teams in the XFL and then play Canadian against American team. Each one plays three American teams that year. Those count towards the standings. But then you'd also have to identify the rules. I'm assuming you have a different set of rules. Well, you can't. You can't do that. You gotta, you've got to decide on three or four. You've got to decide on field width, field depth, where the goalposts are, everything. Timing, that's all. They've got to be the same because otherwise it's just too much of an ask to you play 10 games in one system and now if you're the CFL and you're playing in American Park and you have to play their rules, now I have to unlearn what I've been playing for 10 weeks and go in and I don't think that's fair either. I don't know that an interlock in those three games in July or three weeks in July would work either because where does the XFL finish after that? It just, this doesn't make sense. If you're going to do this and you're going to harmonize, then do it to the nines and be done with it. If there's 10 teams in the XFL, 12, 14, whatever, 
that you don't have to worry about meshing one-to-one. You just have a playoff structure at the end, but they have to be able to move into August. The NFL doesn't play on the first weekend of September, so you could have the first weekend of September your championship. Yeah, I think that's the big point is there's no way, unless it's a merger, to actually play interleague games, if you will, that have any any type of meaning. They can certainly align in a lot of ways in, in talking about um, revenue and talking about marketing and player development, all those sorts of things, coaching development, referee development, everything can work in harmony in two leagues that are, are aligned. But as far as actual play, unless it's a, a merged league, there's I, I don't see a way that it works. With the National League and the American League of Baseball for an, almost a century, where the two were independent of each other and they only met in the playoffs. And it's only been in the last 15 years that they've all come under one umbrella and now meet during the regular season, which I'd love to get rid of. If you want interlocking play between the two countries, you're going to have to be not necessarily under one umbrella, but you have to have the same set of rules and the same schedules. It, It just doesn't work any other way. Or very close with some variations, you know, and I'm, I'm only going to throw this out as a, again, a thought experiment. But if you're saying, okay, three and four downs, if, if you were set on the downs, you maybe had some different rules for the kick returns, you could choose to, you know, everything's fair catch, everyone knows that. And let's just play that one out, as opposed to switching all the rules. So there'd be some minor transitions for the games that would be interlocking, or if it's a championship or, or the, you know, the top teams play, or potentially that carries over and and one of your exhibition games, you know, between the two champions from the year prior. But again, a controlled scrimmage more so than the game. There's an efficacy to all of this, right? And you're trying to achieve that. I don't see that in this 10-10-8 business. It just does not make any sense whatsoever. I've only allocated a couple of reasons why I hate it. There's a lot (laughs) more that I could go into. Story for another day, Don. (laughs) To bash this senselessly. If you want the two teams to play games against each other, you're going to have to harmonize the rules. And I think, in my mind, the best way for this to happen is that the XFL adopts Canadian rules. If they want to be separate and distinct from the NFL, their only hope is to be separate and distinct while they play the game. The distinct football society clause, if you will. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. <laughs>